What are you doing here? It's challenge day. You know we've influenced nearly every facet of white America. From our music to our style of dress, walk, talk, dress, mannerisms. We enrich your very existence. You should say thank you, man. Welcome to the Black Blue Podcast, where we focus on the societal impact of the creativity, consciousness, and contributions of black people in the United States, past, present, and yes, we even look to the future. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and as always, we begin by seeking the blessings of the Most High, asking for guidance and success. Today is part one of our conversation on the intersection of blackness and religion. We're talking with Minister Linda Holiday Lawrence. She's a graduate of the Chicago Theological Seminary with a degree in Global Perspectives. She serves with the Justice Watch team at Trinity United Church of Christ and is Minister of International Human Rights and Social Justice. Welcome to the Black Group Podcast. Thank you so much. I appreciate very much this opportunity to talk to you in a little while. So we're talking uh, with the Black Group Podcast. You know, we talk about everything. Uh, we're talking about contribution, creativity, uh, and consciousness as regard uh, with regard to Black people. We're looking now at the the intersection of Blackness and religion. In your own studies, in your own experience, do you think there that there are any specific or identifiable traits that define the uh, expressions of Black people uh, with regard to religion? specifically in the United States? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the most important things that we should recognize as a black people is that our culture, our roots, everything that defines who we are actually is an extension of where we came from, which is Mother Africa. So um, the undercurrent of what Mother Africa brings through our very existence here in the Western Hemisphere in America um, is symbolized through how we interact with one another. There is a constant uh, web and flow, if you will, of partnering with individuals within our community and calling them family members, where you'll have a thousand, this is my god sister, this is my god brother, or you'll even hear individuals just skip the God part and claim it wholeheartedly. This is my sister, my brother, that's my cousin, that's my uncle. Many of the children in the community will grow up and refer to their parents, best friends as uncle or aunt. Um, and these behaviors actually extend back to our African roots from the motherland where the tribal community was family. Mm. Um, along with that, the rhythm and cadence of our music and how we express ourselves in music comes from the spiritual root of our Africanness. Um, you'll feel with the rhythm of the music that comes out of the African background, the uh, Black church has certain cadences to what is called gospel music or what are called our spiritual hymns. There's a rhythm and a beat to it that can actually be traced back to our African roots in Africa. Um, and even in the way that sermonic messages are delivered from the pulpit. Um, some people call it the, um, 
I'm trying to think of this term that is so well known in the African church where the pastors um, give you what is the hoof. And the hoof meaning that you'll hear the pastors go, and the Lord said, and this is message and mm. awe, uh, and with that in God shall the awe, uh, and there's this breathing pause, and you'll hear the audience respond with an amen, and, and, and this cadence will come like a call and response type of experience during a harmonic message that actually comes from our African roots. It comes from the motherland, and it's stayed in our bones, it's stayed in our spirit, it's stayed in our blood, even though we have been stripped and ripped apart from our native tongue, our native names, all of that which would, on the surface, identify us as members from our motherland. It may have been stripped away on the surface, but it could never be stripped away from our DNA. And so you see it lived out in our spiritual experience in those major dynamic ways. Mm. So with regard to this idea of connectedness, this, this, uh, this, this family, uh, whether it be um, you know, actual biological family or it is the assumed family uh, of the community that's a part of the African tradition uh, that we Absolutely. represent. Uh, and that has also found its way into our religious expression expression as well. Absolutely. Mm. Um, you will hear in um, the sacred text through which I was raised, which is the Christian Bible, that we are heirs of the Father through the Son, which will mean that we are God's children through the connection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. And because of Jesus Christ's um, sacrificial giving of his life to save humanity from her own sins, then we are heirs to that throne. And that being an heir is directly connected to who we are as an African people. Being a sibling of Jesus, being a member of the family of Christ. Mm. Mm. So, are there any uh, are there any specific contributions? I shouldn't say are there any, but would you talk about the specific contributions um, in, in in your own uh, as far as your perspective is concerned uh, that Black people have made to religion in the United States? Oh my goodness! Yeah, I know that's <laughs> I know. Um. Oh my goodness. Um. Where can I begin? Let me start with the, the simple idea of choirs entering a worship experience in what would be considered a march or a promenade. There are still some churches in the Western Hemisphere where the choir just kind of goes and sits down before the church service starts, but you won't find that in many. Most of the churches have an actual part of the ceremony where the choir is literally marching in. This is a contribution that comes straight out of the African-American culture. And it reflects part of the scriptural text of David dancing before Christ and the people dancing with their tambourines um, 
before Jesus when um, they were celebrating a, a liberative moment received from God over an oppressive state. Um, and that kind of promenade where you have the choir and sometimes even the pastoral staff and the deacons will proceed before the choir. And it's this parade of individuals coming in to announce the beginning of the worship experience. It is very much a gifting from our African roots. Going from that point forward, the kind of music and the way that the music is um, styled um, in the Black church today has everything to do with our impact on American culture in a dynamic way. When you think about some of the spirituals that are sung, even in further West, like in Europe, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, you will hear Amazing Grace. That's a Black song written by a Black person. You'll hear Precious Lord, Take My Hand, Thomas Dorsey's work. Um, you'll hear Steal Away, Steal Away to Jesus, or Ain't Gonna Study War No More, or um, there are songs that reach back to the antebellum South during the transatlantic slave trade, where the slaves had to find a means to communicate either when they were planning to escape or how to locate a family member who had been taken away from their bloodline and given to some other landkeeper far away from their family members. The Africans found spiritual songs that they could sing to send a message and the slaveholders wouldn't know that a message was being sent because they were too busy enjoying the rhythm and the sound of the song. And the lyrics didn't seem to resonate with the slaveholders because they were too busy looking at these niggas singing. Mm. So, mm. Um, and one of the songs that has always stayed dear to my heart is the song, um, a lot of people call it, I Got Shoes. Um, it's a song that says, Everybody's talking about heaven ain't going there. Mm. I got a robe. I got shoes. I got wings. When I get to heaven, going to put on my robe, going to put on my shoes, going to put on my wings, and going to shout all over God's heaven. And when the slaveholders wanted the slaves to sing a good worship song, mm -hmm. sing that one about heaven. And the slaves were happy to sing it because they knew the lyrics said, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. That's right. But the slaveholders didn't even realize they were being told to their face, I know you're not going to heaven because you don't treat us right. Mm -hmm. But we going because we got the robe, we got the wings, we got the shoes, and we going to shout all over God's heaven when we get there. Now, you know what's, what I find interesting about that is that there is a a hidden, there's a hidden um, ownership of advantage yes. on behalf of those who are looked down upon. Yes. And 
which which is interesting in terms of this inferiority complex that um that that that, that we have been saddled with uh, and that we fight back against and a lot of our history our creativity is rooted it comes from a place of pushing that inferior inferiority off so uh and and celebrating you know who we are and what we have uh yeah. so with regard to that as far as inferiority complexes are concerned uh this belief that the stranger is better believing that somebody else whether it be their their you know if, if we're talking directly uh w- with relation to uh, 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 to white people, the white form, the European mm-hmm. form, uh, mm-hmm. believing that that is better. You know, that hair texture is better. Its right. features are better. Um, right. And this idea of taking on their worldview or the foreign worldview or the stranger's worldview. Um, talk a bit about that, how how we it, have dealt how with you, that. how you laid this question out because... Um, when I think about the context of the conversation I was mentioning before you asked this question, mm-hmm. I would not say that there was any sense of inferiority associated with it as much as there was a direct alignment, alignment the slaves had with understanding who God is and who God cared about most. Mm-hmm. Um, in the... Uh, context of James Cone, the author of Black Liberation Theology, mm-hmm. what you recognize is that God is a God of the oppressed. God was focused on supporting the oppressed. God used the life and ministry of Jesus Christ to lift up those who were downtrodden, to free those who were imprisoned whether that was mental imprisonment, health imprisonment, or physical imprisonment, that Jesus was used to heal the lame, to give sight to the blind. That was because the oppressed and the least of those in the community was who God was most focused on. So in the context of the Black church, their understanding and context of who God is is directly connected to their relationship with God, which I feel confined for us or defined for us a connection that did not in any way infer inferiority, but it inferred direct relational connection, a relationship. Um, The inferiority that you mentioned in this current context of your question, however, does connect to a um, trying to assimilate into this Western context a form of worship that um, the Black community has struggled with for many, many years. Um, Before the AME Church and Richard Allen was even established, um, there were free Africans who um, wanted to create their own worship space because they did not appreciate the um, rejection of the white faith community. Um, and so in creating their own worship space, they 
basically built and defined a style of physical place, the church house, mm -hmm. and the quorum of worship that mirrored what they saw from the white church. And took that concept to make it real. When Richard Allen defined the AME, which is the African Methodist Episcopal uh, form of religion, out of the many um, denominations that currently exist, it was in defiance to the same thing, being rejected and being uh, under-recognized in the white church. In many of the slave and former slave communities, blacks couldn't worship in common in the same space as whites, even if they were worshiping the same God and Jesus and the same Christian Bible. So unfortunately, this kind of assimilation process took over mentally. And so you had all the way up until at least the uh, late 60s, 1960, you have black churches that still were mirroring or mimicking the Western context of worship. So spirituals, even though they knew of them, were not sung in the church. Um, gospel music was completely inappropriate in these churches where you had Lutheran, Presbyterian, um, um, Methodist, different denominations, but black churches would not sing this music because they thought it was beneath them. And it was beneath them because of that very mentality you mentioned, an inferiority complex. Hold on. However, let me, let me, as the let me ask a question. Slows, we move into the 70s, then you start to see the black spirituals being reintroduced and being codified in the college atmosphere with the college choirs, in the churches where they started to see the value of building their church base and having a wider, broader congregational number by the music that spoke to the living experience of the people who were in the community. So what you're saying is that black churches did not want to sing gospel music? Nope. They looked down their nose at it into wow. the, into the 1960s, the early 1960s. They were looking down their nose at it as if it were an inferior piece of work. Wow, wow. Granite, Thomas Dorsey's music lived powerfully in the Western culture of religious music. But you found most individuals who really celebrated Thomas Dorsey were unfortunately the European Americans until after the 1960s, when we decided to take ownership of our own music back. Do you know why this seems really strange to me? Uh, it seems strange to me because our cultural, our creative expressions have laid the groundwork for, um, for our music, for the musical industry. Absolutely. 
And blues and jazz exactly. defines 90% of the music that we have in this Western Hemisphere. But that, that being said, that being said, that it would seem that it would have been apparent to folks at that time that white people were picking up the music that was coming out, whether it was coming out, you know, at, at the, the, the juke joints or coming out of, um, you know, the, the I guess some some churches, um, whatever that music, right? Right out the not the well off off the streets wherever that music was coming from that they were right. latching on to it and trying right. to find a way to uh, to to break it down to reproduce it to own it um, yes. to come you know to turn it into a commodity yes. that seems really interesting that in our own houses uh, of worship we would kind of turn you know turn our nose up at it which absolutely which which leads me into and I think this to me I I felt that the establishment of the uh, AME church was a sign of this um one of the signs of controlling our own our religious expressions uh contro- controlling our own our own spaces our rituals our interpretations um Talk, talk a bit about this idea of controlling our religious expressions. When you think about the reference to Richard Allen in the AME Church and defining our own religious expression, one of the most important things that the development of the Black Church um, meant to the community of those of us who were coming out of slavery into this interesting dynamic that wasn't necessarily totally free, but it was not in chains. Um, it was that we could once and for a life period began to openly announce our direct relationship with God, our direct connection with God, where God, um, in our own understanding of learning how to read the sacred text, understand that God saw us as important. And that because God saw us as important, then what we were experiencing of the other community of individuals, specifically the Anglo-Saxon European community, um, had to be incorrect. And so the focus for the worship experience at that time was to take ownership of our minds to free us from thinking that all we could be was a servant and all that we could be was subject to the whims and the perspective of the slaveholder and the Eurocentric white mindset. So that was the most important part of the church development and the connection of the black community to defining itself and to taking ownership of itself was to reject this subjective mentality, this mentality that uh, God was only available to the owners and the rich, but God had no interest and no purpose for those who were oppressed. And they were just supposed to live out um, 
in the uh, context of there will always be poor. There will always be those who are hungry in the streets. So accept your lot and go on. Mm. Mm. That, that was being rejected in the black church. And it was being um, communicated through the sermonic message, the call to reject it. Taking scripture, showing how Jesus literally went to and responded to those who had been ostracized, the man in the graves and the tombs who called out to Jesus to help him, the woman who had a issue of blood for 18 years that nobody could resolve, and Jesus healed her. Mm -hmm. These individuals who society considered to be rejects, which was what the black community felt from the white community all across the Americas. Rejection. We are the rejects. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that symbolism was profoundly important and definitive for the black church. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I, I think that lends itself to um, I, I guess a feeling of agency. Uh, a feeling that we are capable of using our our faith, of our understandings of our faith as a means to uh, to address the upliftment of the downtrodden. Uh, oh, absolutely! Right, so that that really plays directly into um, where we are today with regard to uh, social justice being a, uh, and not just today, but a generation ago and and generations before that where mm -hmm. just issues of justice and fairness have been at the center of our interpretations of faith and how we act that out. So when it comes to religion as a platform for, for social justice work, um, I think this is something uh, that becomes crucial, this intersection of, of blackness uh, and religion. It plays out in a way that is unique, um, uh, particularly here, uh, in the United States, and I think I think it's probably unique everywhere. But, but what are your thoughts on that religion as a platform for social justice? I think it defines the very existence of who we are as a faith community. Um, whether we're looking in the sacred text of the Holy Quran and what Muhammad teaches, or we're looking at the sacred text of the Holy Bible, following in the steps of Christ. There's a consistent context that says our faith calls that we act because faith without action is dead. Mm -hmm. So um, for us who are members of the faith community, we can't feel holistically complete if we know that members in our community are struggling, suffering, oppressed, downtrodden, etc., and we're not doing something to push for change. Mm -hmm. Not that any one person alone thinks they can make the change, but that collectively we are consistently working, moving, pushing the pendulum a bit at a bit each year, each moment, to shift towards that change. Mm. And physical examples of how powerful that is is to look back at um, 
the faith leaders during the antebellum period um, post-slavery who called on the federal government to provide former slaves with 40 acres and a mule. It's a tagline for Spike Lee's production com company, and it's a argument that Congressman John Conyers has been lifting on the floor in Congress for decades. Yes. But it actually speaks to a historical moment when 14 African-American former slaves who were preachers presented the the proposition to the federal government that since slaves were never paid for their labor, that upon freedom, they'd be given by the government 14 acres and a mule to begin to create some form of income that would represent property and opportunity for their posterity. Right. That well, started in the church. Hmm. And so and that, that, that goes to of, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. That kind of context is what lays the platform for many of the movements that you consistently see coming out of the church even today. The Me Too movement with those three women comes from their faith of understanding who they are as women and what that movement means as far as taking a stand against sexual predators. Hmm. Definitely. And rooted, rooted in faith in uh, the, this, this, this divine responsibility and, and protection yes. of one's own personhood as a reflection yes. of that faith. Yes. Now, Here's my, my last my last question for you, Minister. And are we already at the end of the conversation? See, you know what? When you're rolling, you're rolling. <laughs> <laughs> but but God willing, this will not be the last time that we do this. <laughs> Amen. So um many many folks know who who've who've looked at our history, how uh the, the descendants, how how the enslaved Africans came in. It says it's, uh, estimates are 30% of those Africans that came here uh, were Muslims. Um, I would tend to say the percentage is probably a little higher than that. And and I would I would also agree with you, but you know mm -hmm. if we're if we're going with a conservative estimate, you know. Okay. Um, but but the point being that Islam was was something that we brought here with us, and we brought here, uh, we brought scholarship. Uh, with us, we brought uh, tradition and culture, uh, and uh, and we were introduced to a very different brand of Christianity at the outset. One where we um, where we accepted a devaluation, uh, where we were we were pushed to accept the devaluation. But uh, what they did not understand is that the natural inclination of one to uh, to aspire to one's higher self uh, is not something that would be lost even on the enslaved. As a matter of fact, it's something that the enslaved would want more so uh, than anything else. 
So we found our own ways to interpretations that um, that asserted and affirmed our own natural right uh, for prosperity and for justice and for freedom, uh, and and much to the chagrin of the slaveholder. Uh, and and of course, you know, we we fast forward and we come to having our own spaces uh, like the AME, and we come to having spaces uh, and preachers that came out of that uh, that that preached completely against it. Uh, and for those who didn't see, if you didn't see the the movie, I can't remember what the movie was. Um, was it Birth Birth of a Nation with Nat Tur- the Nat Turner uh, movie? Do you recall? Oh that? yeah. Yes. Birth so, of a Nation. Yeah, so he's he's preaching two different messages. He's preaching a message yep. that the the slaveholder thought was uh, sanitized, uh-huh. mm-hmm. um, and he doesn't realize mm-hmm. that at the same time the enslaved are hearing a message that that is calling for liberation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but as we move forward and and we look uh, with the and I'll go back, I'll go all the way up to. I'm not going to really move very much into uh, Noble Drali, um, uh, but I, I'll move. I'll move even further. I'm, I'll go past that to uh, uh, W.D. Farb uh, uh, Muhammad um, yes. and um, the Nation of Islam, um, and that that expression of Islam was as much a call for. It was much. It was, it was as much a expression of uh of, of dissatisfaction and pushback uh it was exactly. as much yeah it was as much psychology as it was theology yeah uh and yes. right so i mean that experience which which birthed uh later on imam warthadi muhammad who pushed um who expanded that mission and and really addressed the theology of it as well um but I bring all of it up. I've, I've gone all the way around the world to, to bring it to this one point. Um, as we have seen, for some who see a, a division where now we have returned or now we have uh, a population where we have Christians, we have Muslims, that being, I would veer to say that these are two predominant um, uh, uh, compositions as far as uh, uh, black people are concerned in the United States, with with the um, number of Muslims certainly being uh, in a minority, but we have many of our families, most it's many families, to, to my knowledge, have Muslims in them. They may be predominantly Christian, but they have Muslim relatives or Muslim friends. Um, Absolutely. But it's many of whom are converts. Yes, 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 who have Absolutely. come, who have come back. But we are at a point now where I feel like there's not enough attention um, that's being given to looking at the state of our relationships, not just individually, because I I'm, I think I witness and I, I bear witness personally to beautiful relationships on an individual basis. But what our relationships on uh, as for, on an organizational on a, on a larger uh, level, so black mm-hmm. Muslims, black Christians, where are we in your estimation, and where do you see us moving? 
I think that you're right that it's not where it should be or where it could be. Specifically meaning that because it is true that in, oh my goodness, well over 65 to 70% of the black families in America, there are interesting dynamics where Muslims are part of the bloodline. Mm-hmm. Whether those Muslims are newly converted or at birth and through that bringing forth additional generations that are Muslim um, because of the richness of this truth it would seem that we should be working harder at building the relationships Um, across those faith traditions in a more holistic way. But my opinion is that unlike any other time prior to now, because of the social dynamic that is happening across at least the U.S., Mm -hmm. um, this is a tremendously prime moment in time to um, take a huge uh, risk and make take advantage of this time. This is the time right now where relationships, understanding the nuances of our individual faith traditions, but recognizing the familial bond that exists across those nuances, this is the time to take advantage of that, to learn about it, to actually begin to develop a appreciation that is authentic in its accepting and understanding how rich those nuances are and how they make for a fabric of our human society that would help us to build stronger, powerful movements to shift the negative outcomes of what's happening in our social dynamics into a more positive, holistic, and healing dynamic. Mm. Well said, and uh, and definitely received. We uh, we definitely will have to pick this up again. But, Absolutely, because I'd like to mention the fact that there's a Buddhist trend ebbing and flowing throughout all of our faith traditions, and no one is mentioning the Buddhist trend that's going on. Really. Oh yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, that that that's on the docket. So yeah, we'll, okay. <laughs> we we definitely have to pick that back up because the whole idea is for us def- definitely to look at where we are, um, you know, uh, whether it you know politically and ideologically and and religiously, um, because at the end of the day, wherever we are individually, we still have to come back together communally mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. minister linda holiday lawrence i thank you so much for uh for joining us on the black blue podcast and pray for your continued success and well-being thank you so much imam sorry telling me i am so grateful for this moment thank you for this amazing program that you have structured and i look forward to continuing to grow with and through what you are doing god willing The Black Blue Podcast is a Lifestyle Communications production. 
Join us next time for part two of this conversation as we're joined by anthropologist, writer, and activist Donna Austin. We're going to leave you with the track from one of my favorites, Chi-Town's own Jay Sirius, and the track is called Tough Guys. They took everything else. Well, you want to know what I see? I see pride. I see power. I see a badass mother who don't take no crap of nobody. Let's go! Woo. You really see all that? Yeah, man. Strong heart, strong will Odds against me, I won't kneel Moses alone against Pharaoh God with me, you don't kneel Fear no man, break them all down like low hand Meltdown reactor, we gotcha This fire like a Zula, I'm so sad Show enough, see boy Eat y'all glowing like Leroy I'm the gardener, comb the field Put you niggas in the ground like seas, boy I'm mean, boy Nights with the speed like Reeves, boy Pipe with your dreams like fiends, boy I'm Mike to the team like 23, boy Like E, boy, I'm Fresh with it, blessed with it, leave next spin and you the next to get it. Sick and so mad they sour, like lemon heads of fresh lemons. Candy, like Leo, ain't no Django hero. Wanna tango, we get tangled, straighten them out when I send out me. No, we feast here, on the floor with the lions, we feast here. And the lions then, a fresh rapper coming with his best raps, running like he really got something when he beef here. Don't sleep here, no vacations or retreat here. Homeboy screaming out 10, I see my crew make the game if it's weak here. Don't speak here, okay. You can't see me like so say Maestro, Matador, what you mad for? Can't touch the cup, screaming out old lay Role play, play your role Rock bottom, taking through the table Dudley boy, can't touch me boy E out of feature like cable Let's go When you hear the jingle, shaka shaka See them kings be like Shaka shaka Squad calling, be like Shaka shaka Zulu soldiers make that Baka baka Shaka shaka baby, shaka shaka. Shaka shaka baby, woo woo. Shaka shaka, shaka shaka baby, shaka shaka. Shaka shaka baby, woo woo. Shaka shaka. Slick as vibranium, flow on the track. Hardest titanium, back in the booth. No more time to play with them. Cutting like surgery, open your cranium. T'Challa, I'm a king. Hear it when it ring. Crown up on my head, panthers kneel and sing. I'm the chosen one, you frauds will never reign. Elite regime returns, time to bring the pain. Construction zone and I'm the foreman. You got building plans, but they boring. I got the blueprint with no Jay-Z, but I rock a fella in my zone. Blacking out when I'm backing out, but they rolling in. The crowd's maxing out, and I'll spread the seeds to make room for them. No pharaohs chasing, cause it's over then. You hear the Drums and we come and got the beat and our souls the fear of stars stop I can't escape the fate is far too late no more debate sacrificial lamb on the come plate on. so you know what it is yeah. ERB the squad that be blowing the fear won't fold never quit shut down the squad so hard leave the boys frozen and stiff when you hear the drums go shaka shaka see them kings be like whoop shaka shaka squad calling be like whoop shaka shaka Zulu soldiers make that whoop it's come on Shaka shaka baby, shaka shaka. Shaka shaka baby, woo Shaka shaka, shaka shaka baby, shaka shaka. Shaka shaka baby, woo Shaka shaka. Elite regime baby, 24/7 we running this here. 2018, get ready. Let's go. Saye baby. Yeah man. Me know you killed that baby. Sis. Scouts.